In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome to the camp. We are live in Vegas. Well, I guess not live. We're recording in Vegas. Jesse finally made it to town. It wasn't exactly the best trip for him, but we are here getting ready for the Las Vegas Bowl. Wisconsin going to take on Arizona State on Thursday. Badgers have been here since the 24th. I've uh, been practicing out at Bishop Gorham High School, which is just an insane campus. Was out there yesterday for the lone practice that we were able to get to see, about 15 minutes. A few things that came out of that, obviously, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, I, I Jesse, I think we need to start with your travel troubles because you have – if <laughs> if you didn't have bad luck on bowl trips, you would have no luck whatsoever because I, I think we've talked about it, but I don't know, I don't know how far we've gone into it. We had a miserable time getting to the Orange Bowl in 2017, but I think your your travel to uh, Las Vegas topped what happened four years ago. It is truly a harrowing tale of mystery and intrigue. Uh, <laughs> I'm overselling it, but this, yeah, I, I finally made it. I'm still alive. I was supposed to fly out Sunday and get to Vegas Sunday night. You had a flight out Monday, so I was supposed to beat you by about 12 hours, yet somehow you beat me by 12 hours. I made it from Madison to Detroit, and then that flight was delayed, and it kept getting delayed. They were missing a flight attendant who was on another flight or something, and that person never showed up. And as a result, the crew that was waiting on them had something else to do. So after six hours of delays at about 10.30 or 11, they canceled the flight entirely. Uh wound up getting a voucher to stay in a in a hotel that's like a Wyndham Gardens. I don't know if you or any of the listeners have ever been to this place, but it is straight out of like 1982. It's one of those hotels where the center of it is a swimming pool and all of these fake waterfalls and all the rooms are designed around it. Uh, either way, I I made it out of Detroit somehow, but the flights that they had available for Monday didn't leave until six at night. And I went, it took me to Atlanta. So I went in the opposite direction to get to Vegas and then had another flight that went to Vegas. That was a four hour flight. I made it in Monday night around 1130. And the story is not done yet because when I got to the media hotel, one thing that I had failed to realize was alerting them that I wasn't going to be arriving on the night that I said I was because it was like midnight. Uh, it'd been a long day. I just didn't think about it. So when I got to the media hotel last night, they told me that they had uh, marked me down as a no show. They had canceled the five night stay and they had no rooms available for the next two nights. So it's like midnight by by this point. I don't have any place place to stay. And I was calling around different places to see if there any place I can walk to that has a room. And fortunately, I found a red roof in that's pretty close to the media hotel. It's located right next to a strip club because we are in Vegas. Yes. And I got a four night stay and the, the gentleman was kind enough to put me in a room that wasn't directly next to the strip club so that it could be a little quieter. So I made it about 30 hours later than I thought I would. I missed the Monday availability, but I'm here. And uh, that's my story. So yeah, it's, that's it, where we're at. Yeah, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a 
hell of a trip. I would have lost my mind. Uh, you, you handled it better than I would have probably. Uh, <laughs> but like it, traveling at this time of the year is just a pain, whether it's the weather or whether it's the uh, people going home, you know, during the holidays, it's just a real crappy time to, to be traveling. Like my flight, uh, I was supposed to, I was supposed to leave out of um, Madison at, at uh, like 545 on a Delta flight to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to, to Las Vegas. I got a notification at like 830 the night before, as I'm about to go to bed, uh, that my flight's been canceled. And I had to scramble to get onto a flight, another flight to get to, to Vegas uh, about the same time. Thankfully, I was able to do that. Didn't have nearly the uh, clearly not had the issues that uh, that you did. But I'm glad you're here, and uh, now you can get to work. Unfortunately, for you, there's not a ton of work to be done uh, between <laughs> as it turns between, out. Yeah, between now and the game, uh, Wisconsin. The only practice open to the public yesterday, or I should say, only practice over the media was yesterday. It was 15 minutes. Then we got a little bit of a Paul Christ and Graham Mertz and Fayon Hicks up in this uh, legacy club at the Circa Hotel or Circa Resort. It's a really, really cool place. Uh, the, I mean, if you haven't been here lately, Circa just opened up a brand, like, I don't know if it's brand new, relatively brand new, like uh, sports book that was just insane. I want to go back tonight because it was just, it's it was huge. And, you know, like downtown is, I mean, there's a strip and then there's downtown. And I have spent, the times I've been here before, almost all my time in the strip. So I haven't been down, I haven't been down to Fremont Street a ton, but I've, probably wanting to go back tonight but either way so there wasn't so that was that there's nothing today in terms of player availability there's a press conference tomorrow and then the game is a uh, coach's press conference tomorrow and then the game is on on thursday so yeah probably could have showed up on uh on wednesday or thursday it's on i'm glad your trip didn't actually uh end up lasting as long to get you here on a wednesday or thursday so that's a positive right yeah, I suppose so. I mean, honestly, I've got all my stories written for the week. So technically, I suppose I could have just come in for the game. But uh, who knew that was going to be the case two days ago? No, no one did. But uh, you're here. Wisconsin is here. Most of Wisconsin is here. I know that there were rumors out there, uh, perhaps a story or two that we're talking about how Wisconsin was <clears throat> going to be missing a, a bunch of guys. And um, based on the practice that we saw yesterday, and again, in the age of COVID, three days is an eternity, so a lot could change before Thursday. But based on what we saw on the field yesterday, almost all of Wisconsin's starters are here. The only two guys that are not here, that were not there yesterday, uh, starting-wise, were John Chanel and Matt Henningsen. And UW told us that Matt Henningsen will be, take, will be on the second plane coming out here, uh, I believe either today or tomorrow, and uh, has a chance to play on Thursday. John Chanel will not. Um, again, UW is unable to comment on exactly why they are not uh, here, um, but neither is injured, and both are still on the team, and they haven't opted out. So you can take that for what it's worth uh, and, and gauge as to why they're not here right now. But all things considered, where the rumors were, that's pretty good news for them, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was sort of the one thing that threatened to derail what the team looks like on Thursday, because if you look straight up at which team has the advantage based on personnel that was available coming into the bowl, it, Wisconsin has a massive advantage because Arizona State has had a ton of high-level dudes opt out or enter the transfer portal just in the last couple of weeks. And we know that Wisconsin as a team, they generally – 
the players like to play in these bowl games. I think it may be different if you had guys who were first or second round draft picks, but that's a huge advantage for Wisconsin. So to have most of these guys healthy and able to play, um, it's going to be big. It is. I mean, like we've seen Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson from Ohio State opt out of the Rose Bowl. Uh, I think if Jonathan Taylor was playing in this particular game, Las Vegas Bowl, he would probably opt out. I know he's a huge team guy, so maybe he would have, maybe he wanted, would want to have one more opportunity. But like if he was in the Rose Bowl, he's probably sticking in. But in in this case, there there aren't high level draft picks here, right? Like there's 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 no first round pick. There's probably no second round pick in terms of guys that are going to be going to the draft this year. Uh, so they're all in, and it looks like they're going to have a majority of their starting lineup. The one uh, caveat to that is the offensive line where uh, guys are here, but they're not necessarily practicing. Uh, the, two, they, the, the two starters not practicing yesterday, Joe Tipman and Logan Bruss. Logan Bruss has been dealing with a foot injury that he told, uh, I know he told re- several reporters, including uh, BadgerBlitz.com, that he had been dealing with a foot injury since Rutgers. Uh, he has not done much in bowl prep. Uh, I think it's probably unlikely that he plays. Tanner Bordellini was in his spot. Joe Tipman also didn't practice. I'm not clear exactly what the injury there is. He, he started the final eight games of the season and 11 of the 12 this year, but he was not there. And so Cormac Sampson was at center, but uh, otherwise Tyler Beach at left tackle and Josh Seltzer at left guard and Jack Nelson at right guard. So, and it looked like a majority of their, their, uh, their backups were here as well. Uh, whether it's, you know, Logan Brown or uh, Michael Furtnier, you know, insert guys name here. So I think for the most part, health wise, uh, they're, they're doing all right there too. The only spot would be fullback, right? Like who's going to play fullback, <laughs> uh, Quan Easterling, uh, at Duquesne or headed to Duquesne, uh, was in the transfer portal. John Chanel, I, I think it's unlikely to play now the NCAA, I should say the CDC coming out with the change in, um, recommendations in terms of how long guys have to stay in quarantine, uh, or if they're a close contact. And I know uh, several conferences have already adopted those. I think the Big Ten probably will as well. I asked last night. Obviously, UW can't tell me whether they're in COVID or not, um, but no one was quite sure whether it would impact him and whether he'd be able to play or not. Um, I think there's probably at least an outside chance of it, but I, I, I don't know that to be the case. I, I We'll see. Uh, it, it could change a lot of things. I just don't know if it will change anything for, for Wisconsin this week. It certainly could, would, would help the basketball team. Um, and, and just college basketball in general, be able to get back to a little bit of normalcy if uh, all the conferences adopt it. But either way, uh, fullback is kind of the, the question mark. Who's going to play fullback? They've got they've been like guys that could potentially play it at tight end, like whether it be Hayden Rucci or Clay Cundiff or Cam Large, not available. None of those guys are available to play injury wise. So who's going to be there? Paul Christ uh, did not want to tell me, uh, obviously. And then uh, but Graham Mertz did mention a bunch of young guys, and he mentioned Riley Nowakowski, the uh, linebacker turned tight end slash fullback who uh, a former walk-on or a walk-on, I should say, would be a potential guy there. But I don't know how they're going how to the play, how they're going to play this. Yeah, I, I will start with the offensive line. I think Wisconsin's going to be fine there. Tanner Bordellini has been solid in the times that he's been asked to play. He can do a little bit of everything. He started games, I think, at tackle and guard. Um, so he's been in that role before. Center, I think, would be a little bit more concerning. But Cormac Sampson, again, another versatile guy who's played all over the place. I will say that 
when I was talking to Joe Rudolph a couple of weeks ago, when, when we had a chance to talk to assistant coaches during the, the first day of the early signing period, he said he felt like by the end of the season, Tittman was playing as well as any center in the Big Ten. I mean, he really came on strong this season and did a nice job. And obviously the center quarterback relationship is very important, but this isn't a completely new role for Samson. So I think the line will be okay, but fullback, it's really a wild situation. Um, and uh, perhaps shows you the value of maybe hanging around for a couple extra weeks because Quan Easterling would have gotten a bunch of snaps. I have to imagine over the last the second half of the regular season, I do think from what we've seen over the, the past few years, it does seem to be the one position where you can just kind of move a guy and, and they'll figure it out. We see it all the time. Like Mason Stocky, I remember they had moved, they, they move people all the time and, and they seem to be fine. Um, they don't play as many snaps necessarily as, as some of the other spots, but it's definitely a key role. I don't know what they do exactly. You know, it'd be easy to put a tight end there. They just don't have any tight ends. So that's the one spot. Yeah, uh, maybe Jackson Aker. We saw him yeah. get a little. We saw him get, I think, one rep at at fullback in uh, at Rutgers. Uh, so I, I I think that might be a possibility. I, I think we all listed him as like the backup fullback heading into that game. Uh, after that was the uh, the week that Quan Easterling left, I believe. So I I think that that he's a possibility there. He is healthy uh, after missing uh, time at the end of the year. So that, that might be a possibility too. me personally. I would love to see them go the Ryan Roy route from uh, 2010 and, and just throw an offensive lineman back there. Uh, Ryan Roy, <laughs> Ryan Roy got a little time at, uh, at fullback. The, the UNLV game really stands out in 2010, which is before kind of like where Brady Ewing, like Brady Ewing turned out to be a really good fullback, got drafted and everything, but he hadn't, uh, really grabbed onto that role early in that season. So they were using some different guys. I don't know who you, who you would put back there on the offensive line, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Probably Jack- not going to happen, but I would like it. Well, Jackson Aker makes the most sense to me. You mentioned the the snap that he got at fullback. It was a two. It was him and Chanel both in the game on that particular play, and he he blocked, he handed it off to Chanel, and then he wound up playing some snaps at running back. But when I talked to running backs coach Gary Brown, I guess suppose it was a month and a half or so ago. He said that they were going to look at Aker as a fullback and a running back in, in spring practice. And obviously the options right now are pretty limited. I know they're going to address that once the season's over, but he's a guy who can step in and has some of that experience, especially in practice, who got more reps once they didn't have Easterling, obviously, once Cam Large was hurt and, and Marty Stry apparently had been playing some fullback, but he was hurt. So I think Aker would make a lot of sense. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how, how they decide to go about it. Uh, right now, the running back is being coached by somebody other than Gary Brown. Gary Brown dealing with a non-COVID illness. Uh, I don't think it's anything overly serious. Obviously, he's had he has a history of some serious uh, health issues, but I don't believe it is uh, something that is overly serious. Paul Christ uh, said that they uh, when so the, the guy that's in his role uh, probably everybody that's listening has already seen this, but uh, Garrett Groshek uh, has taken over as running backs coach. Now, Paul Chris said he's not trying to be the coach. He's just trying to pass along a few things here and there. Um, but he was pretty involved in the in the practice that we got to see on Monday. It's cool for them, I think, that all these guys come back for, for practices just randomly. Uh, whether it's Jack Sitchie, Chris Orr obviously ended up uh, starting to work for them, but Jack Sitchie's been around all year. Uh, Garrett Groshek, Mason Stocky, like they've all been around practice, and it kind of just worked out for, for Garrett Groshek that, you know, uh, Gary Brown got sick 
and he's been able to kind of step into that role and and just be that temporary help to that position. Now, I I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm like, well, he just he just left. So like all these guys that he's coaching are are essentially just teammates, right? And then you look at the room, and there's only like two guys <laughs> that are that are still there from when Garrett was here, which is just insane. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's also something to be said for the fact that uh, guys already know who he is, so they can trust him. And there was a tremendous amount of respect for him last year as the leader that he was and the role that he played. So it's been a wild year with with what the roster looks like. Um, but he's somebody that they'll absolutely listen to. And uh, I think it's pretty cool, for sure, that he's here. Yeah, no, uh, definitely is. So that was uh, practice yesterday. I only got 15 minutes. It, it was what it was. Afterwards, uh, as I said, we got to go up to uh, the circuit last night and chat with these guys a little bit more. And we got to talk to Fayon Hicks. And, and still, he's the guy that I think people are wondering, the one guy that people are wondering, will he come back for a sixth year? He, he said he was open to it during the season. I'm getting the feeling the more that I talk to him that he's already decided that he's not going to. Again, that's yeah. just my that's just my feeling because last night I was asking about some of the young guys, specifically Ricardo Hallman, um, because uh, putting together something about the the uh, the recruiting class from last year and catching up with a bunch of those guys and asked him about Ricardo and he talked about how he's going to be one of the guys that stands uh, uh, steps up for them next year um, and he said them, not us, and so me in my parsing of words and uh, parsing of statements, which is the only thing we have at this point, uh, leads me to believe that he, he is, he has already made that decision that he, that he won't be coming back. It was a lot of talking about them and what they'll do. And as opposed to what we will do in that type of thing, again, I, he, he has not made a public decision. Uh, I expect one probably Thursday night. Uh, if we were to ask him Thursday night, uh, or Friday, it'll be, it'll be quick. I think, I think while he is saying all the right thing, he's focused on the team. And what's going to happen on Thursday night? I think he's probably pretty set in where he's going to where his decision is. Again, total speculation on my point uh, on my part. I don't know anything for sure. It's just the felt, just the way I feel in talking to him. Yeah, that's my sense as well. And again, he hasn't made it official, but uh, from what I've heard, and again, it's you know we'll we'll know officially when he says it or puts it on social media or something like that. I think he'll wind up moving on. He's been here a long time. He's played a lot of games. Um, I, I believe he said last night that one possibility in coming back would be whether it improves his draft stock substantially, but I don't know whether that will be the case with another year anyway. So um, I won't be surprised if he chooses to move on, but waiting for an official announcement. Yeah. So that was the, the one roster, I guess, news, but then there's also a new addition. Uh, coming in as a kicker from Arkansas, his name, Jesse? <laughs> Vito Calvaruso. Thank you. Uh, he, Calvaruso was essentially Arkansas's kickoff guy the last two years. Wasn't, I mean, if you go and look at his freshman year, wasn't, or his first year, wasn't, wasn't great. This year, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, 85, 85% of his kicks were touchbacks. Wisconsin's as a team was 30%. I, some of that, I, I think at least probably, at least some of that is scheme and what Wisconsin was trying to do as opposed to just giving the team the ball at the 25-yard line. They were trying to kick to the one or two-yard line and, and get down and make a stop. But maybe they're uh, changing their their way. Again, Jack Van Dyke was up and down, was injured uh, 
some of this year. Colin Larsh, probably uh, not necessarily the leg to uh, to be your, your your kickoff guy on a regular basis, and also not your guy that's going to be kicking uh, long field goals. We we know that about him. He's that's it's not going to be him. It wasn't this year. Uh, it hasn't been in past years. He he is coming back for his sixth year, but I wonder. If Vito, not just kickoff wise, but maybe gets a chance to be their their field goal kicker as well, especially for some of the longer kicks, uh, because Colin Lars very solid inside forty yards. Yeah, but there are some kicks that you need to make from outside. Well, that's my sense as well about whether Vito could come in and challenge for some type of kicking role. Remember two years ago with Zach Hintz, it's quite a weapon to have a kickoff specialist who can just boot it through the end zone. You don't, no muss, no fuss. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, not going to be a big play. It's going to start at the 25. 63 of his 74 vetoes, 74 kickoffs resulted in touchbacks this year. But he was a really good high school kicker too, place kicker. He made 25 of 31 field goal attempts. He made 122 of 129 extra point attempts. Obviously, that was a couple of years ago. And I feel like somebody can come in and potentially challenge Larsh. And certainly from a, a long range field goal perspective, if you have a 45 yarder or a 50 yarder, you want to be able to bring somebody in that you can trust that'll give you a chance. And maybe this guy can be it. So I think it's interesting that he's the first, technically he's the first transfer portal uh, guy coming in because Kalon Gervin, the, the cornerback from Michigan state flipped his commitment and is now going to Kansas. So the, they're looking at all positions, I suppose, in the transfer portal. And I have to imagine this won't be the last guy they bring in. I also think like he's not leaving Arkansas because he doesn't isn't going to get an opportunity to kick here. You know what I mean? Like he if he wanted to be a kickoff guy, he could just be a kickoff guy at, at Arkansas. Yeah, I think I, he wanted I, to be a kicker somewhere. Right. I think. Yeah. So I think he's coming here with the op- with the potential opportunity to uh, have a bigger role than just a kickoff guy. And we'll see exactly uh, what that looks like. A couple of more news items. Uh, I'd just like to get your take on it. Okay. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, we've talked about potential change this offseason, whether uh, it's bringing in new coaches or other coaches leaving. There was a report, ooh, was it last week? I think it was late. Yeah, last week, that uh, Joe Rudolph is being pursued by Virginia Tech and their new head coach to be their offensive line coach. And that there, the, there were conversations uh, between the two and that it, it sounds like obviously it's gone quite a little bit here. I think, well, I think it'll probably pick up after Thursday night that uh, Joe, like that's, that's where they were going and, and potentially Joe Rudolph is moving on. I don't think either of us think that would be a good thing for Wisconsin, but I also completely understand it from his point of view in terms of, cause it is, it's, it's not a, it's certainly not an improvement uh, in terms of your job, and uh, if you're Joe Rudolph, it's a, I think it's a step back, if anything. But it's also what happened last year with getting essentially demoted and you got your pay cut that I can understand a guy maybe wanting to move on even after being with Paul Chris for so long and being a Wisconsin guy that it maybe is just, it's, maybe it's time. That's exactly how I see it. It's certainly not a step up, but it also is uh, an opportunity for a fresh start. And at this point, Nothing's been confirmed, obviously, but he's been at was he's been with Paul Crisp for the last 14 years and he was demoted, had the play calling duties taken away from him, got a 6% pay cut. And, and if you start to ask, you know, what, what do I want out of uh, being a coach? There's not a lot of other opportunities at Wisconsin at this point, other than being the offensive line coach, because you had that role taken away from you. Maybe he just wants something new. Um, I don't think it would be a good thing for Wisconsin. I know 
some people may disagree, but purely from a coaching of the offensive line perspective, I think he's a tremendous coach and I think he is a tremendous recruiter. And when you talk to, as I do, I talk to all these recruits coming in and their families and their coaches, there's so much respect for Rudolph and he is a key reason why a lot of these guys wind up coming. Um, even I was just talking to Nolan Rucci, um, who's obviously on the team now, but his relationship with Rudolph was a big reason why he connected with Wisconsin. Obviously his older brother Hayden is, is on the team and was being recruited by the Badgers first, but people like the way he coaches. Um, they like the way he challenges players. Uh, and I think obviously he's got ties to Pennsylvania. He, he does a really good job in recruiting and you can debate how much progress you think the offensive line has made the last couple of years with him in charge. But I think there are guys that have made strides and I don't necessarily think it would be great for Wisconsin, but let's just say hypothetically, that is something that does happen. Then you would ask, well, what is Wisconsin going to do with its staff? Because that's, that's been a big question that's sort of been hovering around the program is that the offense hasn't been great the last two seasons. Obviously last year was a COVID shortened year, but Nonetheless, they haven't performed up to what expectations have been. So does Paul Chris need to make a change? If Rudolph moves on, you've got an opening on the offensive line. I think the natural tendency would be to say, well, Bob Bostead, come on down. You've got all that offensive line coaching experience. He's coaching inside linebackers now. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if Bostead wound up coaching the offensive line. Let's just say you put Bobby April in charge of all of the linebackers because you would still have an assistant coaching spot available and maybe you could bring somebody in <laughs> as the offensive coordinator or to coach the quarterbacks, do something else. I just, I think it's, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world in, in terms of what the future of the program could be if you're going to bring somebody else in. But I don't think it's, I mean, Rudolph has been very good for this program and I think he would continue to be if he stayed here. So that was kind of a long winded answer and it's got a couple different directions. No, it, it does. I I'm completely on board with actually everything you just said. I think especially the idea of potentially bringing Bostad to the offensive line, leaving the linebackers to one coach, even though they're, they're very different positions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not, it, it's kind of, but you know, Jim safety and quarterback are very different positions. And, and Jim Leonard was, was coaching both of them for extended period of time. Um, you know, but I, I like the idea of bringing in an offensive coordinator that would also serve as the quarterback's coach. Yeah. I just, Again, I, I'm not sure Paul Christ is ready to go that way, even though I think we all believe that it's probably the right way. Well, I should say, I think we agree that it's, it's probably the right way to go. I, where do, do you get a sense that that's what he thinks, too? I know he's he, you never it's impossible, yes. <laughs> impossible to, to figure out what exactly he's thinking and where where he's going to go. But I just I feel like that would be the best if, if, if this ends up happening, that would be the best way to go. Well, it opens up an avenue to do this without having to fire somebody uh, right. because I, I, I don't know whether that was going to happen. I just, Paul is obviously so close with a lot of these guys. As I mentioned, he's worked with Rudy for the last 14 years. And, um, but if you've got somebody who, who leaves for whatever reason, then it frees up potentially a spot on the staff and makes it more possible. Now is, would Paul be ready to do that? I don't know. Um, you know, that, that takes a lot of, um, I suppose, willingness to look at yourself and, and take a step back and, and say that, you know, maybe I don't have all the answers. I think Paul is willing to do that on the whole, but I don't know after, after this one season of change, 
whether he will, but there's no doubt <laughs> when you're the head coach and you're in charge of hundred plus players, you're running the quarterback room and you're calling the plays. That's a crap ton of stuff on your plate. Um, and I just, I don't know that it's hard to, it's hard to know what he's thinking, certainly. And it's hard to know what he believes is best because this is a team again, that did win seven straight games and could have played in the big 10 championship. And would we be having this conversation if, if that had been the case, I suppose it would have depended on what happened in the big 10 championship. Right. I, we talked about this last at some point that had they won that final game against Minnesota, it would have, I think, allowed a lot of people to say, see, there's nothing wrong. And clearly, in my, in my opinion, and I don't know if you would agree, I think there is something wrong. I think there is um, uh, some issues there offensively. And you talked about the last two years. In Paul Chris' seven years, which offenses were, were good enough? 2019, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And, and 2017 to an extent. I think he gets a pass for 2015 and 2016 because they were decimated along the offensive line. I think that I think that that's been our our tendency to do that is just ignore those two years. But they weren't good offensively either of those years. Um, if they just had a, an average or you know slightly above average offense, they could have been even they could have won even a lot more games because the defense, especially 2016, was was off the charts good. So I, I don't like I when you look at the offenses. And we would say, well, it's only been the last two years. It's it's really been uh, five of the seven, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been three of the last four. Um, and obviously, I don't want to dismiss that Rose Bowl season, which Jack Cohn did. Big reason, you look at those three seasons, what happened? They didn't have great quarterback play. And, and certainly, there's a lot of other things that go around it. Do you have the wide receivers that can make the plays? Is the offensive line protecting? But Alex Hornibrook in that 2018 season, that was a, that was a disappointment. And then he dealt with injuries and and Jack Cohn replaced him because Alex was injured in 2019, other than Graham's or in 2020, other than Graham's debut, it was really a challenge. And this year has been a challenge. I think he's he's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns, right? He's got nine, nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions this year. So the quarterback play hasn't been great. And that, that cures a lot of ills, but then you say, well, who's responsible for that? Well, certainly it's Paul this year. Um, and if that were different, then, then we'd be having a different conversation. It's not different. Correct. <laughs> and so what do you, so what are you going to do to, to change it? You know, do you give it another year? And I don't know. I mean, I, this, this would be the opportunity if you lose an assistant coach, because it's the easiest avenue in terms of not having to let somebody go to make that change. Yeah. I just wonder at this point, who are you bringing in too? We've yep. seen so many moves across the country already. We've talked about the uh, coaching carousel going earlier and moving earlier than normal. That has led to a lot of guys already getting taken. Some of the higher uh, guys that you would, would potentially go after or want to go after, the ones that have had a lot of success have already found new jobs or are being have already you know agreed to new jobs. I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly. I mean – I don't the thing. The whole thing about this is you just don't know what Paul Chris is thinking other than um, I want to win Thursday night. Like that, yeah. that is the only, like, that's just where he is. He said he'll evaluate all this stuff after the season. And what we're seeing elsewhere or seeing in other places is coaches evaluating it right now yeah. and looking at it and making moves and uh, others. It feels like are not. And I feel like Wisconsin's among those 
do you agree or do you think that Paul is actually not evaluating anything at this point? Do you think he's just solely focused on Thursday? Do you think he has evaluated his staff already? I honestly don't know the answer. And I've been covering him since 2015. And I wish I could tell you it's, he just doesn't give you much. I, I, I think obviously, like I talked about last week, he certainly sees the big picture and has an understanding of it, but he just operates differently. And I go back to the recruiting department. Can you think of other programs that would not replace somebody for six plus months and go through a recruiting cycle. And his whole thing was we're, we're doing okay. We have people who can cover it. You know, much, much of the cycle is already taken care of. I'm going to do it after the season. And he's already said, he's basically going to spend all of January figuring it out and have someone in place by February. So that's a, that's a different mindset overall. Um, and it's, it's how he's approaching this part too. I have to imagine he's at least, considered what he's going to do but as you said the longer you wait the more some of those names come off the board and i don't know exactly what it is that, that he would want to do yeah it's always all, all always questioning exactly uh what is going through his mind uh sometimes when he's uh making decisions on whether to punt or not you're always <laughs> it's, it's, it's always it's always questioning what's what's going on there um all right let's get into a little bit of the game here yeah I, Based on what the way that Arizona has talked, the way that Arizona, the, look at the number, and you talked about it earlier in the show, the number of Arizona, Arizona State guys that are not there, that are not playing. If you go down the list of uh, the, I don't want to say important guys, but uh, guys that have been pretty important to what Arizona State has done this year, a lot of them aren't going to be there. Uh, whether it's uh, the couple of running backs, Rashad White, they got uh, DeMonte Trainum, uh, excuse me, uh, what's his name? Tra- uh, Trainum? He was, he was Wisconsin. Well, he was a Wisconsin. I mean, it was a guy that Wisconsin was hard after. Yeah. He's in the transfer portal. You lose three other guys to the, to the uh, draft and, and a couple of quarterbacks and a linebacker. And then also the missing their starting center, Wisconsin, as we talked about very, very healthy. I feel like Wisconsin, the last spread I saw was six. Maybe it's gone up since then, but I feel like Wisconsin has to be uh, a, a pretty, heavy favorite, I, at least in my mind, to go out there and win this game, assuming uh, assuming they don't have an, uh, an outbreak of COVID. Like, I, I, like I, I just, I feel like Wisconsin should, based on the way that they've approached this, based on their last game, this feels a lot like the Pinstripe Bowl in 2018, where they have something to prove and the other team is kind of just here. I feel the exact same way. I'm actually surprised the line hasn't moved or gone up for Wisconsin. I, I think it opened at seven, um, but six or seven is kind of where it's been at the whole time. Wisconsin, a lot of times at this time of year, the question of motivation is something that's brought up a lot. And for whatever reason, Wisconsin really values this month of preparation and playing in this game. I think it's a big reason why Paul Christ is five and one in bowl games at Wisconsin, obviously having your personnel there means a lot, but you talk about some of these guys that they're missing. Rashad White, he's a thousand yard rusher. Um, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones are are Arizona State's two best cornerbacks. Lucas was a five-year starter. Jones was the the MVP of Arizona State's win against Arizona in the the regular season finale. And then the linebacker, Darian Butler, um, probably their best player, was a four-year starter, semifinalist for the Butkus Award, declared for the NFL draft. So it's just (laughs) the best guys on your team are are not here and you're moving guys into roles that are basically been second teamers or even third teamers this season. And you don't really have that at Wisconsin. So 
I would be very surprised if Wisconsin doesn't come out and win this game just on personnel alone. Personnel alone. I mean, I think they're the better team, even with all those guys in it. Like I, I do think Wisconsin's a better team, but take all those guys out and ha- and the motivation that Wisconsin has to play in this just because of what happened against Minnesota and not wanting to go out with that, that stinker, just like 2018 didn't want to go out with that stinker. I, I mean, I guess it's possible like Wisconsin turns ball over a bunch or um, you know, Arizona State takes advantage of some of the things that Nebraska was able to with, with uh, a quarterback that has a little mobil- mobility, but or I should say a lot of mobility. But it's difficult to see where Wisconsin, how Wisconsin loses it, other than, uh, other than those two things. And I, again, they've, been, they've had turnover issues throughout uh, the season, not so much in that, that winning streak, um, but yeah, I, I, it's very difficult for me to see how they, how they don't come out on top. And the other know. thing is, well, I, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. And I mean, obviously our predictions aren't foolproof. Neither one of us thought Minnesota was going to be Wisconsin. So I, I preface all these statements with, with that. If I had a crystal ball, well, I just move out here to Vegas and yeah. I would bet on all the games and I'd become a millionaire, right. but just looking on paper and, and what we've seen of Wisconsin and what Arizona state has. Yeah. I mean, I, I, agree with you. It, it comes down to can Wisconsin take care of the football enough? Cause I think the defense is going to show up and perform well. And um, I mean, with Arizona state, like their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, he hasn't been great this season. He is a dual threat guy, but over his last three games in two of those games, he didn't pass for more than 90 yards. Are we to believe that he's going to, you know, have a monster passing game against Wisconsin's defense. Now we've seen Wisconsin have some issues with, with guys who can get out in space, but you don't have your, your top two running backs, you're missing playmakers. It is just hard to see what happens. And I would also say Wisconsin's other than potential COVID issues, very healthy. The last 10 games of the regular season, they didn't have a bye week. So by the end of the year, they were completely beat up. Braylon Allen, as we saw, was limping off the field every single game. So he's had time to heal up. And I think that that is going to be very important for this game as well. The health of Wisconsin. Yeah. I I feel like a healthy dose of, Braylon Allen is coming. Yes. Um, you know what I mean? Like I he has do. eight, he has eight months to rest after this game. Yes. And he's had essentially, he'll have essentially a month off. He's, he will have had essentially a month off. It's not like they've been practicing extremely hard. They've, they have had pads on, I think once this, eh, twice this week, no, once this week, but I, I, they are healthy in for the most part outside of the couple of the offensive linemen that you may not have they'll have everyone else that they want outside of Chanel. So I, I, I look at Wisconsin and if they don't win this game, um, there's something wrong. And because they, they have all yes. the, they have all the advantages going into this one, including motivation to play in the game. Uh, I'd like to get your, uh, uh, what is uh, your prediction going into this one? I'm going Wisconsin 24 to 10. I don't think Arizona state's going to put up many points. I think it'll be a, a workman like uh performance from the Badgers and they get it done. Now, I suppose it would be more interesting from a storyline perspective if Wisconsin did lay an egg because it would open up all the questions that we've asked and there wouldn't be another game for another eight months about, about Paul Christ and the offense and what Wisconsin should do. But again, I, I've got a tough time seeing that play out that way um, given all the, for all the reasons that we've mentioned. Yeah, I would agree. I'm going to, I'm actually uh, thinking Wisconsin puts up more points than that. I think it's going to kind of be a game like that 2018 pinstripe bowl where uh, Wisconsin wins uh, 34 
to 13. I'm going to go 34-13. I think they do a good job against Jaden Daniels. I think they do an even better job running the ball against Arizona State. And, um, you know, Graham Mertz finishes on a high note. Those are those. Uh, I don't feel like any of that's a bold prediction, except maybe the Graham Mertz ending on a high note. But um, <laughs> but he will he drop the trophy. I kind of feel like he needs to drop the trophy, or at least they need to break the trophy. I, I, I'm I'm confused why the trophy continues to be named after the guy it is after. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I know that's random to bring it up, but I was looking at it I, when this when this bowl game was announced in uh, in early December. I was like, who is this Rossi Railencotter guy? And it turns out he's a guy that uh, is a, is a is a criminal. Um, he's a, he's a member of the Las Vegas business hall of fame, but he also had to, had to deal or had to make a plea deal because he he got caught, um, stealing, like it it was charged with felony theft, a couple felonies, actually theft and misconduct. Like I'm just kind of surprised that his name's still on the trophy. Uh, this, this happened last year, last August, and yet the name's still on the trophy. I know it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter, but I'm just kind of a little surprised that the name's still on the trophy, but it is a nice looking trophy. I don't, I, it's going to be probably pretty difficult for uh, Graham Mertz or anybody else to break. I think I prefer a bottle of Mayo atop a half of a trophy, just duct taped. I can't, That's way I can't more t- fun. I can't tell you how disappointed I am that they are not in the, in the Mayo bowl this year or that the Mayo bowl did not make this decision, uh, make this decision last year. Apparently whoever wins the Mayo bowl this year, the coach is getting doused with with mayo. Oh, tremendous. Yes. I still so, wouldn't want to see another mayo bowl game from Wisconsin, though. At least they're in a new venue. But you know what I'm saying? Like eh, that would have been amazing. Yes. And I think we were all kind of like hoping at the end of it that it was that was what it was going to be. Like maybe even just packets of beef <laughs> mayo, like something like that. I know mayo takes forever to, you know, it's it's not exactly the fastest moving condiment, but you know, at that point, just packets or something. Give me, give me something. And they, and they gave us literally just water. It was very disappointing. Very disappointing. I don't know. Like, what would you put? What would you put in the in the cooler for Las, the Las Vegas Bowl? Um, chips? Like uh, poker chips? I, like I, I, would, I don't know. I was probably thinking uh, nipple tassels. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is where we are at this point in the podcast and this point of the season that they're in the Las Vegas Bowl. We're talking about condiments and nipple tassels. <laughs> well, they uh, they there are some showgirls here. So I thought, all right. So they so they had uh, they've had some showgirls at these events and like holding helmets and then staying with the coaches. And I feel I didn't I didn't know what to call them, because when you think showgirls, Elizabeth think, Berkeley. Yes, I think Jesse Spanos <laughs> in the movie showgirls. And I, I told that to somebody from UW and they're like, we thought the exact same thing. Uh, but that's because I asked them, what do you, I asked them, like, what do you call them? What are they called? Because I wanted to say Paul Christ, Herm Edwards and fill in the blank of what these what these women are called. And he's like showgirls. And I'm like, that doesn't feel right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but I'm like, all right. He goes, well, that's what's on our packet. That's what they that's what they're calling on the pack. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to I'm going to call them showgirls. And uh, I went with it. But yes, it, it, it felt weird saying that because the only the only showgirls I equate, I just said the only person I equate with showgirls is Elizabeth Berkeley, who goes from Jesse Spanos to to what was an NC uh, 17 movie back in the day. Yes, it was uh, one of the great <laughs> probably films. Probably still of, is. 
uh, cinema history, I think. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, right up there. (laughs) Right up there with with everything else. Um, All right. Anything else you wanted to touch on before uh, we hit the tables? (laughs) Uh, I think I'm pretty much golden. We got to get out of here. So so we got about 12 hours left in the day. Yeah, only, only, well, Jesse, we don't sleep. That's true. The city doesn't sleep. We, we, the tables, sports book, uh, probably not the, uh, the, strip club next to your hotel probably not i'm not gonna make any guarantees probably not probably not yeah, most likely I, not most likely just jesse's a definite no but i'm 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 probably I'm, I'm gonna probably say no as well i gotta i gotta use the next three days to rest up because i don't know if i'll be able to make it back to madison based on how the trip to vegas went that's a good point that's a good point i yes we'll, we'll see how the rest of the week plays out but we will uh we'll be back uh next week when we get back from vegas break down our trip and hopefully uh no, uh, <laughs> the hang- no, nothing from the hangover repeats here in the next few days. Um, and uh, we will uh, talk about what we saw in the game and then obviously look ahead to the offseason. An offseason that, again, we believe is probably pretty big in Paul Chris' tenure. One of the bigger ones in Paul Chris' tenure. But, Jesse, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We're all a two-man right. wolf pack all season. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll catch up in a little bit. Uh, you've been listening to The Camp, here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.